Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've got John Aloisi and Michael Bridges with us today on this week's episode of The Ganger Pod as we near closer resumption to football across Europe and across the planet. So much to talk about today. David Winnett with you once again to guide this chat. Let's rip right into it. Good morning, boys. Bridgie, John, Bridgie to you first. How are you? You're looking on our Zoom chat that we can see that we recorded on now. You're looking very, very, very fit and sharp, decked out in all your football attire. Um, how, how are you travelling? Dave, I am very excited for this episode of the gig and pod, mate. Football is back. The Bundesliga is back. This talk, the Premier League is coming back. And I do love a little bit of a, a team that are going to catch up, mate. So I've got my Dortmund top on, sitting second in Bundesliga. I've got the Real Madrid hat on, Pierce and Barcelona, mate. So I'm up for this session on the Gagan pod and I'm looking forward to getting John's insight, obviously, because he is Mr. La Liga himself. You're all over the shop. That is a bit of, that's a bob each way. You've got Tottenham shorts on and, and what, what else you got on? He must I'm have made City shorts, shorts on. on. I've got my dinosaur pyjama bottoms on once again, so I can't tell <laughs> you, man. You've got whoever's second on the, on the table, so you must have Man City. I've got, oh, I wouldn't wear anything Man City, John. No, that's no go. Anything to do with Manchester, mate, from England, I have nothing to do with Bob. Fair enough. Uh, welcome back, John. Good to see you again. How are you travelling? Yeah, very well. And like Bridgie said, it's been brilliant. The football's finally getting back. Um, Bundesliga, I've been you know, excited about watching not only Dortmund, who have been impressive, but Bayern Munich. Who's going to stop them? Uh, you, you think they've wrapped it up already, Bridgie, but um, also Champions League. Are they the favourites to go on and win the Champions League? I'm sure we'll talk more about that later in the show. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a bit unusual to have this to, to get stuck into. Um, when we started, to, we were looking through the week at the best goals of the season to start pumping up the Premier League. And someone said, what was your favourite goal of the season? I went, I think it was Drogba versus Liverpool in 2005. I can't remember, actually. That's what I've been watching for the last 10 weeks. I couldn't remember where we were. So we've got a bit to refresh on over the next couple of weeks. Um, and just to state from the outset, of course, as we talk now on Thursday morning in Australia, it is provisionally set for the 17th of June in England, 18th the morning here in Australia. We have to say that from the outset that whilst we all anticipate the Premier League, um, is going to return based on everything we've heard. It isn't locked in. There's still some pretty clear meetings, key meetings to come. But Bridgie, to you, your reaction to the hypothetical, the strong hypothetical, the Premier League will be back, kicking off with Manchester City against Arsenal on Thursday the 18th in the morning here. Uh, what do you say about that? Oh, mate, what a game to come back to. Do you know what I mean? It's just going to be... If there's anything that could top that, it would be Man City taking on Liverpool. We've already seen that that match early on, uh, but this is a great one to kickstart it off. We're going to see Arteta returning to his venue. He's got a lot to do with Arsenal. He's got to change the whole culture there. He's got a massive job on his hands. We all know that. 
And the stuff that he's learned over Pep Guardiola, it's going to be interesting to see their reaction when they get back together and what's going on there. But what a game to start, mate. And I'm just delighted that all the protocols have been taken into consideration. They've done, you know, they've looked at what's going on in the K-League and everybody's had the eyes on the Bundesliga to make sure they are maintaining and obviously not getting any COVID spreading around. So that that's the, the discussion that they've got to still come. They're still going to have these massive um, meetings about how they keep it right on track and and get it absolutely spot on because if one thing goes wrong, Dave, it's going to be scrutinised and uh, you know there's going to could be a lot of repercussions coming from that. But mate, just to have a game and what a game to have! I'm just absolutely delighted. Look at the fixtures here that we've got to come as well. At the top end of the table, it's all we know it's done and dusted. Liverpool just need to get the games out of the way. But the bottom of the Premier League, there's a lot of clubs didn't want the Premier League to return because they were in. You know, they were saying just null and void it because there is so close. There's a lot of teams can get dragged into it. And the bottom relegation battle is going to be brilliant to witness um, going into the end of the matches. Well, that's pretty. That's a pretty good point you made, Bridgie, about um, the, the bottom teams. And that's still a little bit up for grabs. That's part of the discussion at the moment, John, is that if there is another wave that infiltrates the Premier League, the most recent test only had one across the entire competition from Spurs. So that is enough to continue. But if the competition does have to pause, they do have to have a, uh, a mitigating circumstance for relegation. And if you're in those bottom clubs, the whole picture has changed. How do you see now? We've speculated about this for so many weeks now, but now that we're so close, how do you see this part of the scenario, especially because, as we've seen in the Bundesliga, it's a very different game now without a home crowd. That kind of... The, the, the stakes you have in promotion and relegation are very, very different. Yeah, oh, look, it, it is different. I, I still think that that home ground advantage uh, does uh, uh, does still exist because, you know, you, you know your stadium. Yeah, you don't have the crowd to give you that lift or you, and give you that extra push. But, you know, a lot of them will be training in their stadium at least the day before the game or a couple of days during the week and uh, and making sure that they understand their surroundings a little bit better. The travel's a little bit different. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting if they do finish the season. Look, there's a lot to play for from Brighton downwards. Mm. Brighton have probably got the worst run in of the lot, um, you know. But anyone can really go down there. But uh, that's what makes it exciting as well. Look, th- these clubs didn't want to finish the season because they 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 actually want to make sure that uh, they didn't get relegated. But um, as in other leagues, there's certain teams when they finish the season. Uh, we saw up in Scotland that Hearts got relegated. Uh, mm. So you don't want it to be like that. You, you want them to actually finish the league. And if they don't, probably uh, you have to null and void it. Yeah, well, John, you, you've just mentioned there, mate, Brighton's, Brighton's running. Now they've got the home, yes, we call it home advantage. I look at it, you know, fear for Aaron Moy and um, mm-hmm. Matt Ryan. You've got Man United, you've got Man City, they've got Liverpool, they've got Arsenal. You're going to get sucked right into that relegation battle because the other teams in West Ham and Watford are two teams that I genuinely love to see stay in the Premier League and West Ham is a big club. And they've got to play Watford. That's going to be a classic match. That is a six-week or, you know, it's a six-pointer. And they've also got to play Aston Villa. So looking at the bottom half, I still really fancy West Ham to get out of trouble, Dave, and get them two matches won, and I really think Brighton are, are in a bit of strife. I what really about do. Villa? Do you, do you see Villa getting out of there? Because uh, you know, I, I see Bournemouth probably staying in there. I, I actually mm. think it's going to be very hard for them to, to get out of the, the bottom three, even though they're on the same points as Watford and West Ham. 
and only two behind Brighton. But um, I think Villa might might have enough, though, Bridgie, to, I'm, to, I'm to climb out. I'm saying Norwich. I'm saying Villa, and I'm gonna say Brighton. Looking at it, okay. I think Brighton can get. I think I, I fancy Bournemouth to get out. I haven't actually seen their fixtures. To be fair, John, I'm just <laughs> what they got: Southampton, Newcastle, Leicester, Tottenham, and Palace at home. So, yeah, it's. Oh, I, I hate these. I've been in relegation battles myself. No. It actually doesn't matter who you're playing mm. because I remember Sunderland had the, the last three games that they had. They had to play Chelsea, Arsenal, and I think it might be Manchester United. And people had given them no hope because they had them. And, you know, someone pulled off a miracle one year. That was not the year I was there. I went down to Wimbledon last game of the season. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But that, I'm, I'm saying that it's going to be Brighton are going to get sucked in there, unfortunately. It's funny you say that, Bridgie, because, um, yeah, we're saying Brighton and they've got those big clubs. Um, but, you know, I've also been in relegation battles. And sometimes when you play those bigger sides and, and the onus is on them to come at you and, and whatever else, and pro, plus you're probably not expected to win, you actually go and beat them. You know, we, uh, we did that against Real Madrid a couple of times. When we're fighting relegation, we don't see where the points are going to come from. And all of a sudden we beat Real Madrid at home 3-2. And, and it gives us a massive lift for the rest yeah. of the season. So sometimes when you're playing down the bottom, it is a six-pointer. Um, it, it, it's a little bit different, but when you're playing a top side, the the pressure just it goes away a little bit. The only thing that will, um, then another factor that will be really interesting in that equation is normally you might have a situation where the bigger clubs might know where they're secure, or they might sort of hit a bit of complacency in their season or whatnot, and that can always have a bit of role in in what happens in the relegation battle. Was at the moment the top six race, the top the the Champions League and the Europa League race is so excruciatingly excruciatingly tight and you've actually got your United, your Spurs, your Arsenals who have to come back here fighting tooth and nail for not just their pride but the financial rewards that next year brings. But before we touch on that, one of the interesting rules that people are saying, debating at the moment, is it going to affect the, I guess some people use the word integrity but it does change the dynamic, is if you're allowed five subs because all of a sudden the clubs with bigger squads, deeper squads, fitter players, um, smarter managers can start to use that to their advantage. Would you, how much is that going to be a factor in the game? Because some managers have said, um, first of all, it's not fair because that's not what we started the season with. Other managers, I think uh, Graham Potter, actually, Brighton was one of them who said, I've got a very fit team. I don't want the opposition being allowed to make extra subs. <laughs> um, I think actually uh, Citien at Barcelona said the same thing, uh, actually. How much of an impact do you think that makes? Or do you think, the welfare and health of players as they've been rushed back in is actually a more important consideration. I wish it had been in years ago, Dave, because I would have got a lot more appearance fees under me. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a lot of spells in my backside from sitting on the benches, so an extra spot would have been great. Um, I, I, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. And I, I agree that coming, if I was one of the managers and I'm in the Premier League and this, this rule came in halfway through, I would see that as a, you know, a, a bit of a flaw. I would bring that in next, next season. If it's, but if it's going across the board, like you said, some managers have basically got their starting eleven or, or their, you know, their main team to run teams off the park. We we had uh, an unbelievable fitness at Leeds United, and you know we we did a lot of the games kind of changed now where you're doing a lot of work with the ball. I remember Tuesday and Thursday afternoons we never saw a ball. We absolutely got pelted for fitness. And we had quality players and Harry Kuehl that could you know, win a game single-handedly. But we were so fit. And that was, our, that was part of our dynamics, to, to run teams off the park with our young 
fit bodies. So I can see where Potter and them are coming from. That they're, they're kind of losing a bit of their their edge in their novelty to their game, allowing this to happen. So I, I would be pretty <laughs> pissed off if I was them as well, if that's your game plan. Um, but again, with the lads that haven't been trained, we've seen in the Bundesliga that there has been a lot of injuries because the you know the levels have been down from the training they haven't been able to get as much under their belt so maybe it's a good thing for the players welfare uh, it remains to be seen as, as just, we go into the Premier League. just with that Bridgie and, and you mentioned the Bundesliga and it's a, it's a great point there have been a lot of injuries and and I actually think that the five sub rule can actually cause more injuries and I, this is my opinion and uh, I need to speak to sports scientists about this but um, oh, don't mention sports scientists to me John <laughs> the game. when you think about it you're able to make five subs so and, and I've been watching the Bundesliga and the intensity is so high and it stays high for a long period now the six players let's let's leave the goalkeeper out so five outfield players that are still on there and having to play at this intensity uh their body can't cope. So normally when there's only three subs, the last 15, 20 minutes, you know, the game becomes a bit more spread. Uh, the intensity is not as strong. And so, you know, your, your body's used to actually being able to cope. But now when you're able to make five, you're talking about five fresh players coming in, the, the level stays high and, and, and it doesn't drop at all. So, you know, will the bodies be able to cope? But with, with Setien, what Setien's trying to get at, I don't know if Barcelona's fitter, what Barcelona do have is that they keep the ball for about 70% of the time and then the opposition starts to fatigue. Now, if you're able to make five subs, he's saying that they're coming in and they're fresher, not only physically, but mentally they're fresher and they're able to do the job. But um, I, I would rather be a Barcelona and make five subs because you, you can imagine what they've got coming in off the bench. You know, the, the players that, that, that Real Madrid, Barcelona, your Bayern Munichs, They've got better players coming off the bench than than your Brydons and and uh, so forth. So, uh, five sub rule is it works well uh, for some and for others it'll work against them. Well, it's funny. Even Dortmund when they were chasing the game against um, Bayern and I, obviously they didn't win, but I think off the bench they brought Gotza, Emre Can, um, Sancho, Jutain and Sancho, and that was just the first three. And I think yeah. there's a couple, others, a couple others that they brought on. Once they got to the fourth, Axel Witzel didn't even come off the bench. Like, <laughs> five, I was like, <laughs> sub for you, sub for you, sub yeah. for you. It's pretty crazy. Another one on that point that you make, though, John, is that, and these are some of the rules that they're debating at the moment, is they're talking about there's going to be empty stands. So if, you, if your classic defender belts the ball into the stand, you've only got three balls, it's going to be like the under sixes where you have to go to the car park and go to the or whatever. Kick it as far as you can when it was, wasn't the multi ball. Defenders, if we're 1 0 up, kick it as far as you can. Yeah. Well, tell the fans they've got to hold on to the ball. So, so just with that, does it, uh, how many ball boys and how many balls are they allowed to have on the side? So there's only three. So they're talking about whether they have more, more balls. But then no, again, but then they go, they come into the, but that's part of exactly what you said. How fast is the game going to get? Imagine a Premier League game where Mourinho is running up and down the sideline feeding the ball boys to get them back in quicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? The, the, the way that we used to train in our conditioning sessions, you used to make the, the tempo as high and, and much higher than a game situation. Uh, because then you, your game becomes an easier game and, you, and you're at that fitness level. And so we used to have balls all around the pitch. I think we'd have 20 on one side of the pitch, another 10 in the goal so the keeper could quickly get it out. So it, it might end up becoming like the one of those training conditioning games that the tempo is just high all the time. But 
it, it is interesting. It's, uh, I've really enjoyed watching the Bundesliga. I know the atmosphere is not the same, uh, Bridgie, without the crowd. But, um, you know, it, it also has its other uh, aspects to it that are fascinating with the, with the coaching on the pitch, mm. hearing the, the actual coaches on the sideline. Um, and also, I, I think the intensity of the games have been exceptional. They have hit the ground running, haven't they? Yeah, they have. It surprised me. I, I, I thought that... The, the, Sorry, who, who was that, John? Who were you on about? I missed that. In the Bundesliga, I just think the, the intensity of the games yeah. have just been really high and, and the quality has been high. Um, yeah, the, the tactical side, you know, I, I watched the Bayern Munich, uh, well, it was uh, Dortmund Bayern Munich, and, and I was really impressed with both sides, the way that they went at each other. Uh, tactically, you know, one team played a little bit of a different system and, and style and, and, and the other team, uh, I, I thought that it was, a, a, I don't know if it's a higher level because of the subs or if it's also uh, not having the crowd there sometimes mm. takes the pressure away a little bit from players. They don't feel that nervous energy as much. But yeah. the, the actual quality of the games have been very good. Here's one for you, John. So we've got Bay- you've got Bayern Munich. I know we're going away from the Premier League. We've got Bayern Munich, you've got Dortmund, you've got Leipzig, Munchen Gladbach. They're all chasing um, the title and they're all playing for the Champions League. You go into the mid-table. What I, I don't know if I'm looking too much into this. Your teams like Frankfurt, Cologne. Do you reckon that the players, I know the staff and everybody will, will have put in programmes and, you know, at Dortmund and Bayern Munich have got ample amounts of money. Their facilities are amazing, the way they can track what the players have been doing, things like that. I just don't know if some of the players that have been in that mid-table range, there's nothing to play for, they're safe. I don't know whether they would have put as much effort in uh, just wanting to get the games out of the way because I've seen a few of them teams, like you say, I've seen Dortmund. That was unbelievable the way they've been playing. They've continued. How they get them levels when they haven't been in the training park as much. I don't know, same as Bayern, but I've seen a couple of the other teams and I'm thinking, are you, are you really, almost the, the body language didn't suggest they wanted to be there. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, that is an interesting point as well because I, um, you hear about the bigger clubs and what they're able to do. If, they, if a player didn't have a, a treadmill at home, they, mm-hmm. they actually sent them one. You know? yeah. Or if they didn't have an exercise bike at home, they sent them one. Uh, so the, the clubs that have got that more uh, the, the money to spend and to help their players, they would they would have a big advantage. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? Sometimes we, we talk about the crowd helping players. It helps players probably more when you're down, when you when you're losing a game, and then you get your supporters giving you a lift, especially if you're playing at home. Yeah. And and sometimes that mid-table side, Bridgie, you're right. If they're one nil down. Uh, against the Bayern Munich and, and they've gone on the attack and there's no noise and, and they think, oh, well, you know, we, we could probably lose this. They, they don't have that extra lift and that, that extra push to help them. And then, and then the season's virtually over for them. Yeah. That's, speaking of the crowds, is that, is that what the, one of the bigger takeaways you've, you've, you've picked up from the Bundesliga and looking at the Premier League to see what we might expect and whatnot? Like we look at, say, Sheffield United who are right in the European race um, in England. But one of the things I think Schwartz even mentioned in, in his podcast this week, that without the home crown advantage, particularly for those lower teams who rouse and to get that extra push, and frankly, I would have loved to have seen what Dortmund may have done with a crowd behind them in that last 15, 20 minutes of that game against Bayern. Yeah. Is that going to play as... Uh, do you think, what role do you think that will play in the Premier League? Say, for example, when a Sheffield United, they you know, galvanise with their crowd. It's played such a big role. Obviously, tactically, they're sensational but they do have that real, you know, backs against the wall spirit as well. Is that one of the things you've taken out from the Bundesliga that may influence that top four race where it comes down really to man for man ability? 
I look at the teams like your, your West Ham. They still haven't really embraced or felt at home in their new stadium. They, there's still a disconnect between the fans. They, they feel like they're miles away from the pitch. I think they've lost something that they had when they were at Brooklyn Park. Now, Bramall Lane at Sheffield United is exactly what that is. That is an old-style stadium. The fans are almost on top of you. I used to hate going there on a, on a, on a night time to Bramall Lane. It was a tough, tough place to go any time. But on, on them cold nights, the fans played a massive impact because they are behind them. Now, Wilder and his team have played superb football. The fans haven't carried them that far. The players have embraced his style, but they've also embraced the fans. That might that will definitely affect Sheffield United in my eyes because they, of the way the fans are so tight to their players. They definitely give them a little bit of, a, of an edge. Leicester City, their stadium, when, that, when that's bouncing, well, that's incredible. So the, it's definitely going to impact. But like John says, when you're training there and you're getting used to it, it well, you're going to have to try and manufacture something and, and you know get it yourself. Now, what I've really enjoyed when I've watched the K-League is the team's that have actually played speaker noise. So they've had their fans with their music through the speakers. We've heard that come across on TV. That maybe just sounds better to us. I don't know whether it's impacting the players, but when there's nothing being coming through the speakers and we've heard the players talk and shouting the coaches, the atmosphere has been terrible. And you feel that inside stadiums. I've played for the reserves many times inside them stadiums. When you're a young kid, it's, it's nothing better. You're, you're going up the grades to the reserves. You don't care if one man and his dog's watching. But as a senior player, when you're told you're playing a reserve game and you've got to play in front of two people, you, your enthusiasm just goes out the window like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what teams are going to embrace and learn from other teams that have done it. Are they going to play speaker noise just to give their fans something or their players something to go for? Because the cardboard cutouts are not going to help one bit. Speaking it, of a man and a dog, did you see Mustafa Amini's team in Denmark? There literally yeah. was a dog running across yeah. the Zoom <laughs> on the sideline. There was one shot I saw where a bloke was having a beer and it looked like he was pouring the beer on the player's head. Yeah, no, I didn't see that. But it, it will play a factor, Bridgie. You're 100% yeah. right. When, when you've got fans there and, uh, you know, you know what it's like. If you're down in a game and, and all of a sudden you score, you know, if you're 2-0 two, two down, you score that one goal and you're playing at home, and, and that crowd gives you that lift. It, 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 there's nothing better. It, it, it actually does give you an extra bit of energy from somewhere. And, uh, and not to have that, especially when you're fighting relegation um, or, or fighting to go into Europe or fighting for a championship. You know, I think Dortmund, yeah, if they did have their crowd, and you're talking about 70-odd thousand people there mm. in the last 15 minutes, pushing them and pushing and pushing them with the players they had coming on, they might have actually got a result. You know, we, we don't know, but it would have given them a lift yeah, for sure. Completely. It's a whole different ball game, and that's why I think it was incredible when Klopp came from Dortmund and how he embraced the, the cop. He's, he's experienced that at Dortmund. It was almost a match made in heaven how he embraced it, and he knew how to get the, the cop always brings the best out of, out of their team, and he embraced that. So, if Liverpool hadn't been so many points clear and we were going into this COVID situation, mm. Anfield loses its. It's over completely. It would have yeah. been a whole different ball game because there's nothing worse than standing that tunnel and walking out and you seeing and witnessing what the Liverpool fans can produce. It is you basically shit yourself. No, there's no way to, to get around it. It is so nerve wracking. So they, they're going to lose an edge, but they're so far clear. So fans do play. I think what COVID's then football will go on, but without fans, it's nothing. We we, we yeah. play the game because of the fans and we want to play in front of fans we want to entertain it's mm. like a, you know a singer if you're an entertainer and that's that's what I really really found tough to 
to see the the fans were struggling, but how much the the, the teams and players realised, you know, without without fans, we, we don't have a game. Yeah, the heartbeat is missing, but in the, in a in a pure sense, yeah, it is very watchable. But the heartbeat isn't isn't there. And we kick off, you know, Liverpool have a Merseyside derby straight off. I guess, what do you think? What do you think it'll feel like? You say when, because it's going to be when when Liverpool win the title, waiting all this time, John, and it is going to be a bit odd. Yeah, it's going to be odd, but you you, you know that uh, it, it's still a, a derby, and and it's still a, you know a game that um, you know both sets of players will want to win because they know how much it means to to their supporters. Liverpool want to win because they want to wrap up the title as soon as possible. Everton to just uh, you know so the, their fans are, are proud and happy that the, they beat their their rivals. Um, but it's not going to be the same because mm. there's no crowd. <laughs> it's, you know, it's completely different. But I'm interested to see how much uh, time Ancelotti's been able to work with his players and, and, and how he's going to be able to get the best out of them because he had uh, a good start when he uh, first arrived. They, they, they went on a bit of a dip. But uh, you know, the new coaches like uh, Ancelotti and Arteta in their clubs, I think it's given them that bit more time to get their philosophy across, their way of playing across, and uh, and you'll see uh, probably improved sides from what they were like when the just before COVID. I think what you find as well, John, with with Ancelotti and Arteta, they will be looking like you. I think Arteta has got a <coughs> excuse me a huge job to change the culture um, at Arsenal. He he'll want to do that. He needs fresh faces. And I think Ancelotti, this, you know, Everton are sitting pretty in 12th position. They're not worried about relegation anymore. They're, well, they might now. Nah, they can't get sucked in. Yeah. He's planning for next season. There's no doubt about who'll be looking, what players are, can we get in, or what can we do? And I think they're going to use this, these games now till the end of the season, like you say, just to paint pictures, show the players some some new patterns and styles of play, what they want to get. But his main thought is now is, is all about next season. But um, even with a good run, they could even make Europa League. You know, they're not that far off. Mm. It's uh, you know, there's, there's so many teams around there that they would fancy their chances of making Europe somehow. But um, yeah, he will have one eye definitely preparing for next season. Picking up off what we've seen from the Bundesliga again, I, I was wondering whether teams would, whether coaches would have to adapt to, you know, team play, their players not being on the park for a very long time, having to maybe adjust their tempo. That clearly hasn't happened because like Bayern's pressing in that Dortmund game was was um, was relentless. It was incredible. But do you think some coaches that we see go 100 miles an hour might pull back? Like, what do you think will happen in that sense, John? Do you think it'll be as you were and it's, and and they pick up in this new environment or, or coaches and teams will have to adapt a little bit given that they've never really come off a 12-week siesta, so to speak, before? I actually think the and, and going off the Bundesliga, I think the tempo will stay high. I, I actually think that, um, you know, some sides that sit off away from home probably won't sit off as much they'll, they'll just go away and, and, and think you know well uh, it's it's like playing on a neutral venue we'll, we'll take the game to the opposition there's there's coaches that have their philosophy and their way of playing anyway but um, you know looking at uh, what the Bundesliga is like it's you, you see both teams really going at it the, the better teams that is you know there's still the ones that are a little bit weaker have to sit off and, and try and contain uh, a Bayern Munich or a Dortmund if they can, but um, I don't think it would change too much the the tactics of uh, of the coach. I was very surprised how clinical the players were. They didn't look like they had any cobwebs or rust. Normally, the first few matches, I remember watching the first Kaylee game that we did on Optus, and I was thinking, "Oh, this is a preseason friendly. That you yeah. know, there's a lot of rustiness in here." 
we haven't seen that from the Bundesliga. And I, I, I was very surprised at that. It's almost like the top teams have just hit the ground running. The players are looking on. I mean, Sancho has come back with his, with his hat-trick. Real Madrid talking about signing him. Um, players like that, they, they just look like they haven't had a break and they haven't been away, which I find fascinating because I know how rusty we were in pre-season to get them games out. Lewandowski struggled a little bit though since he's been back. <laughs> I tell you what, Alfonso Davies should do some sprint training as well. And oh. uh, there's a few of those guys really let themselves go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very impressive. And and you know what? You, you, saying that, Bridgie, the, yeah, you do need to get the cobwebs out in terms of sometimes your finishing or, or your touch or whatever. But fitness levels have surprised me. I, I can't believe how like fit and sharp they are, and and, and you could just see with with the way you, you're talking about Alfonso Davies. What about Muller? You know, in, mm. in that um, that game against Dortmund, he was the one that was. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Starting the press and just kept on going and going. And I'm going, this guy, is, he doesn't look like he's getting any older. He's just run all day. Or a guy that was frozen out for the first half of the season too. Quite, quite amazing. Um, so just to wrap up the Premier League chat, guys. Just to remind everyone where we were, because I live and breathe it, and I have to stop for a second and go, what happened three months ago? I can't remember. Just to both of you, to Bridget then to John, um, what you remember or sort of your favourite moment of the season so far and what you are most looking forward to or think is going to be the storyline that we're about to jump into uh, and follow really closely over the next, uh, let's say, six weeks to, to two months. Oh, the storyline. Um, well, mate, that's a great question, Dave. I wish you'd give us a little bit more of a heads up. Oh, I only emailed you yesterday, Bridgie. <laughs> I didn't read it. No, look, looking back at the season on the whole, just the, the way Liverpool have single-handedly ran away with it. It was just, I couldn't, I'm not a Liverpool fan, I'm a Spurs fan. I, I just could not wait to watch Liverpool's matches. The, the, you know, the dynamics, the way they've... The way they've gone on with Van Dijk, giving them that stability, getting the goalkeeper back after injuries, and the run that they went on to get 82 points in, in the in the season, I've just been blown away by them. But what I'm looking forward to and in going into the last few games this season is that Champions League spot. It's the old Chelsea, it's your Manchester, it's your Wolves, your Sheffield. You've got two teams there. You've got obviously there's Leicester in there as well, but you've got two teams in Man United and Chelsea, Dave, that are powerhouses, global names in the world. And then you've got a team like Wolverhampton Wanderers and Sheffield United chasing them. That's that's the, the the one for me. I'm going to keep an eye on because I would love to see a team like Sheffield United with Wilder get into that Champions League spot and just show some of the teams around Europe that he's got overlapping um, overlapping centre backs. And I would love to see how you like your your Real Madrids and your Dortmunds <laughs> and your Barcelonas would handle Wilder's tactics and having to come to Bramall Lane. That would be special. Yeah, look, I um, with the, the defining moment, uh, you might say, in the league, 
Bridgie is uh, already spoken about Liverpool. It's been incredible to see how they've played all season and the points they've picked up. But uh, we, we expected Man City to challenge them and, and to go most of the, the way with them like they did last year when Man City uh, picked Liverpool. Um, but uh, I think that loss against Norwich City early in the season for Man City was their defining moment. You can't lose points away to teams that are battling relegation. And, and I think that's where Man City have struggled. Um, they've struggled, obviously, with a lot of injuries and, and replacing uh, a couple of their players at the back, which they ended up putting uh, Fernandinho at the back because they, they just didn't have any other defenders. So that, that's been um, you know, the defining moments for, for the title race. But in terms of talking about the, the storyline, it has to be the Champions League. Uh, who's going to make it? And and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, the last games of the season or the last round, Chelsea v Wolves, Leicester v Man United, could that be the deciding games? Let me double check for you while I have it right here. If, if I, I, I'm pretty sure I've done my research. <laughs> never doubt the golden child of Australian football, Dave. Learn your lesson. Just say, uh, well done, John. Well said. You are very right. You are very right. Yeah, yeah, well, can you imagine like that, the last games of the season or last round and those four teams are battling it out for two places, which could happen. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's, it's going to be sensational. Sheffield United's still there. You know, who can ride off Mourinho with Tottenham? I know they haven't been unbelievable, but they can still pick up points. Arsenal with uh, Arteta having more time, they could still be there fighting for it. So that Champions League uh, top four, well, you think that uh, City have already made it. So you say third and fourth is going to be some race. I think it's really important why the season did finish because there is still so much up for grabs. You couldn't have put a line in the sand. You still want to see how Arsenal can bounce, Arsenal and Spurs can bounce back with their new managers. And there's that little asterisk that everyone's forgotten about that Manchester City's Champions League spot is not secure because they were in trouble um, with the financial oh, yeah. play beforehand. So there's a little asterisk that everyone below them has just that one extra spot to maybe push for. So hopefully by the next Gagenpod, we know exactly what's going on with the competition kickoff. And we'll be able to talk about it even more specifically. And we have a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to, if that's the case. Um, across Europe, things are moving. Despite the fact they've still got a few issues with COVID, or well, a lot of issues with COVID. Um, for the morale of each of these countries, their associations and governments have really wanted to make sure that their leagues can get up and running. And Spain could be back as soon as next weekend. And Italy will be on the 20th, the same weekend as the, the Premier League. To Spain, quickly, John, um, what have you heard from over, the, from over there? It must be a, an incredible morale boost for them to have this back as well. And um, like Italy, the title race is completely up for grabs. This couldn't be null and voided. We need to find a, a genuine winner. Yeah, and I think that's what everyone wants, uh, to find a genuine winner. It's funny that uh, the old president of Barcelona came out recently, uh, Gaspar, and said that uh, if Real Madrid were top, the league would have been... <laughs> they would have caught off the league and given them the title. But because Barcelona are top, they're going to continue it on. Look, uh, I think this... No, no, John, don't be bitter. <laughs> Look, I don't agree with him. I actually, I'm glad they're going to finish off the, the the title race. I actually think this will work in Barcelona's favour because Setien didn't have a lot of time with the group, and you saw footage of Messi in training the other day. He looks as sharp and as hungry as ever. 
um, you know, chasing back, winning mm. tackles, and then going up the other end and scoring a goal in a, in a small-sided game. Um, but uh, Suarez also uh, recovering from injury. So, you know, this has helped Barcelona, this little break. And um, But, you know, who can underestimate and, and write off uh, Real Madrid with the quality they have? But um, there's also Atletico Madrid that uh, probably can't win the title. But what they can do is, is go quite far in the Champions League if the Champions League mm-hmm. still is uh, going to go ahead, which I think it will. Mm-hmm. Well, the break really is going to help point. some teams, right? What's that? Or the break could end up helping some teams. Atletico would be uh, one case in point because they needed a change in momentum in the league. Yeah, they did. They, they they weren't doing that well in the league. And 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 what what happens when you have this break? You you start to actually reflect on what you need to work on. And and we all know that uh, Atletico Madrid was still quite solid defensively, but they were lacking goals and they were lacking creating opportunities. Um, you know, Jao Felix is probably that player that can actually help him. Diego Costa was coming back from injury, so he still wasn't right. You can get those two right and, and Morata. Uh, then you start to have a, a few more goals in you. And I think that could definitely help them. Um, and then, you know, you, you've still got your Sevillas and, and those clubs there that are, are fighting for Champions League spots. Uh, Athletic Bilbao, who's have a, a great season. Real Sociedad has had a great season so far. So there's still a lot to play for in Spain. Diego Costa might be doing the next um, Vinnie Jones at Mean Machine movie from jail. You never know. He's <laughs> yeah. in a lot of trouble at the minute yeah, over yeah, this. Yeah, yeah I've heard that. Another one of your... Was it Espanol who you played for, yeah? No, no. Uh, Osasuna and Alaves. Osasuna, there you go. Right, OK. No, I was just having a look because I was looking at the table and I was seeing Espanol down there. It's not, um, they're not, in, a, not in a pretty position. <clears throat> no, not in a pretty position. And and they're a big club. You, you don't really want to see them get relegated because, uh, you know, they also have that uh, local rivalry mm-hmm. with uh, Barcelona. So you want to see Espanyol stay up as well. So should begin with Sevilla against Real Betis. And Barcelona's first game is a trip to Mallorca and Real Madrid host Ibar over in Italy. Even though they've had such a dreadful time with with their uh, with their virus, they're going to get a massive boost by having the Serie A back. Uh, the Coppa Italia might actually begin the weekend beforehand with Inter, Napoli, Milan, and Juventus all still in the mix. But with the one point lead, the one point lead only for Juventus over Lazio, with Inter just behind them and Atalanta rounding out the top four. There is so much to play for in Serie A, John. Um, and that should, all things going to plan, get underway on June 20. Yeah. You, you think that Inter Milan are too far to, to actually catch Juventus or Lazio. But what a story it will be if Lazio win the title. And, and then <laughs> Sari, who has never won a, a, oh. a, a title like this, you know, the, to win the championship, he loses it with a club like Juventus. It wouldn't be nice for him. But, uh, yeah, there's still a lot to play for there. And I just can't wait to see Atalanta as well. You know, the, the, the football they're playing and, and how well they're playing. Uh, Gattuso with Napoli started to go on a good run. So there's a lot to play for there and and also you know a lot of the sides left in the champions league as well it's interesting here bridgie because um say in the k league for example where uh, if a player tests positive or someone in the club tests positive for coronavirus um it, it's it's they're comfortable with just the player isolating in italy because they've still had a few problems they're aware that if it does creep into the competition they may have to put teams in quarantine and that will play havoc with 
um, with the competition, they're actually going to line up plan B and plan C. They haven't decided what that is yet, but one of them could be a playoff to decide the, the final, you know, whatever that, whatever time they've got left and whatever positions they need to get done. That could be, not that we want to wish them that, but A, it's good to see them planning ahead, but B, what do you make of that as a possible solution? We don't see that kind of thing very often in European football. It's not a big, it, it's not a solution we've seen before, Dave, but I'm all for that. If that's a one-off game, then, you know, it, it's winner takes all. Even just a penalty shootout, mate. Just let the just let one team go on in and do that. The other keep it going. The other end of the field. You know, do the American the American shootout. Yeah, you know, you when they from the halfway line. It's fantastic. So yeah, I'm all for that. Like you say, it's just nice to know that people are actually thinking outside the box of ideas how they can get the the season finish. It doesn't matter what decisions people come up with in governing bodies and things, you're always going to get the pros and you're always going to get the, the negatives and you're always going to, you can't please everybody. But um, if it's a one-off game when it takes all, mate, that'll be something special to watch. I think in Serie A, they're coming up with all these plans as well because um, I don't know if you heard the news uh, that Gasparini, the, the mm. actual coach of Atalanta last week came out and the beginning of this week came out and said that he had Corona when they went to go play against the Valencia and, and you say in the Champions League and you go, oh, you know, if he actually knew that he wasn't well and he actually went there, you know, that, that's not good. And, uh, and so Valencia, uh, who ended up having a lot of players that ended mm. up falling ill, uh, weren't happy about the whole situation. It's a little bit scary when you think about it. Um, and we probably were naive at the time, but the Liverpool Atletico game in at Anfield and the Atalanta-Valencia Champions League games, in hindsight, were not great uh, health decisions by authorities at the time. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, we can use football as a redeeming uh, and, and great motivation for society going forward um, across Europe in the coming weeks and months as everything gets back to normal. But um, whilst this does all happen, we're not really back to action in Australia. What's the latest that you guys are hearing, uh, John? And um, what's your reaction to the fact that even though we have a plan for the A-League coming back and Rugby League is back and, and AFL is on its way to being back and the J-League has got a date back and comps in Europe have a date back, A-League players are still none the wiser. Yeah, look, we're in a bit of a difficult situation because a lot of players' contracts had finished uh, May th uh, 31st. So you go, all right, so that's different to J-League, K-League because their contracts were going through the season. Um, you know, but in Europe, they would have been in a very similar situation. So I don't understand why ours um, hasn't been sorted. Um, I know the foreigners uh, in the league weren't mm. too happy and, uh, and a lot of them were thinking, well, we don't know if we're going to stay or if we're going to play out the remainder of the season. If we do end up playing the remainder of the season and a lot of the foreigners have gone, you know, what does that mean for the league? Is, is, it's not really the same as when it started. Um, and then also, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, the, the broadcasting deal is still not 100%. Uh, you know, we're not sure how that looks at the moment. There's still a lot of questions to answer. That's mainly the FFA. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully, we can get the, the season up and going and, uh, and finish it by August and then plan for the following season. Yeah, yeah I mean, the A-League's league's in, in a lot of trouble. Um, but like I say, I, I, having somebody like James Johnson in there trying to still do stuff, the federations talking to each other, you know, it's, they're, they're good. that's going to be a tough decision. 
but the, the thing for me, and I think a lot of parents, is, you know, we're being given the go-aheads. Our MPL seasons are starting again. We're being given the green light um, to, to go ahead and get a start date. We're just waiting for the councils now to let us get on that training venue uh, in the MPL in Newcastle. But parents are loving it because kids, kids are able to go back and train now and they're getting out and about. They're keeping their fitness. The mental health side is going to obviously it's going to help that no end being able to get the kids back together and grassroots sport and football is back so you know for me that's a that's a massive tick um, and we're still going to have to be very careful and make sure we stick to the guidelines that have been given because the last thing we want to do is just see the turn the other way um, and it could do that dramatically if, if people don't take into consideration so I, I was delighted when we got the got the green light so you're able to coach again you're able to get your players you're able to get your kids back out um, it, that's, that's great news but there is still a lot of worry regarding the elite and just on the on the coaching while you're talking about that Bridget what is that a lot of work as well to make sure that you're or can you talk us through the work you have to do above and beyond your normal session planning to actually make sure you're sticking by the guidelines and that the, everything is safe at your club environment yeah well to be fair northern New South Wales um, put out a fantastic um, about a 13 or 14 page document that was all sent through to give us guidelines as to say what areas we were allowed to use. And, you know, they used a diagram of a full pitch and it was quartered off and you can have 10 in that section, 10 in that section. So it, what it gave us as coaches um, something to think about is we're working with nine players. We're, we're in that development. Do we do we put a session on and have the other, t the other coach doing a different type of session and then rotate the players through? And you think, well, no, because that might spread. That's another way of spreading it. So, mm. you know, we, we've had to totally think outside of the box to come up with different types of sessions when we can't do the 11 v 11 team tactics and get your shape and things over to your players like that. It's That's the thing that you've had to do differently. Um, the fitness levels, we've given the players programs. They've been able to go in, do that and report back to the um you know the the fitness coach yourself on a on a regular basis. We've had Zoom sessions as as coaches. Now I'm talking MPL, so you know the A League teams will have been doing it on a whole different scale because they've got a bigger budget. But the the session plan is being it's going to be really interesting to see how the coaches themselves collaborate together to come up with something that is totally different that we've never really had to, to deal with before. But the guidelines that were sent through were fantastic from um, from Northern New South Wales to to give you a heads up and an idea of not getting together too early. Because I like the players to come about an hour early or an hour and a, uh, an hour to half an hour before training just to get there to social, have a chat. And, and them guidelines have gone. You're not allowed. It's got to be mm. in the car park, straight ready to train. We've got to have everything set up. There's no congregating. So literally it's got to flow into the session. As soon as the session's over, see you later. You've got to bring your own water bottles. They're, they're the main things that have changed because I'm, I'm all for one trying to get a culture where the players come, you talk about what you've been doing mm. in the day, you have a chat. That's the mingling time and that's the kind of banter that I, I missed as a player when I when I finished. Um, but but we're, not, we're not able to do that. It's just literally get in, train and see you later. And is it a big toll on the club to get this NPL1 season, Northern New South Wales NPL1 season finished? Like is the club, how, what's the health of your club and the, and, and the conversation around that that cohort of teams? Uh, well, the, the, the sad thing is for the NPL clubs, we rely on sponsorships um, and your budgets from your, can your, your your gates, your canteens, the merchandise. Obviously, we get the junior fees in as well and things like that. But it's hard when the sponsors have paid up at the start of the year mm. and they're not going to get the signage because there's no fans. They're not going to get that kind of news article papers that they look for to get out of what they do. So we've had to, you know, we've had to speak to the sponsors and say, you know, what, what, what's a happy medium? What can you offer us to keep us going and what can we give back to you, which is going to be, you know, a, a, 
a, a nice gesture as well. The players, we've had, we've had a chat with the players and sort out um, money-wise what they're going to get because there's not that kind of money in the budget now because the sponsors' money has gone. So, you know, some of the players um, decided at some clubs that they're going to play for free and others, others weren't. Some clubs are, are going to pay their players in the NPL. So there's still a lot. Depends what your club dynamics are. You've got players that will play for nothing and just want to get the game's done to get football back and keep their keep their headspace right. Um, and you've got others that'll say if they're not getting paid, then they, they won't play football. Sim- simple as that. You, it depends what kind of mould up you've got and, and what your club stands for. So we've, we've, we've been very lucky with um, with the MPL and the Lamp and Jaffers. We've got a, a great guy that runs it very, very well. So we're in a good space because he's, you know, he's networking with the sponsors have been fantastic. Other clubs will struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So junior football is going to be back. Senior football at grassroots is still a TBC. Um, and I know there's a few people um, saying why the juniors back, but not the seniors, but it is so complicated and everyone wants to make sure that the right decision is made. Uh, we have the Northern Territory uh, League coming back on Friday. They've got a live broadcast, the first game back. So congratulations to them. But um, we mentioned the A-League, John. Um, do, do you, if you were a betting man, do you see it finishing? Oh, um, yes, I do see it finishing. I don't know how it's going to look and when the decision is going to be made. I do see it finishing because everyone wants it to, to get finished. Everyone wants there to be, uh, you know, a, a champion, which at the moment looks like uh, Sydney FC will get the Premier's plate, but you want to have a final series. I think it will, uh, everyone, uh, as we said, the FFA have agreed that it will get finished. The PFA have agreed that it will be finished. Um, now we're just waiting on Fox Sports to agree on how it's going to look. And mm. and I think that uh, eventually there will be a decision made that it will get finished. Mm. But just to walk a mile in issues that you have in the past, but to put yourself, if you say it was 10 years on and you were playing now, how would you feel as, a, as an import coming in and not having the protection that the local players have and um, being asked to jump back into a competition in imminently when you pretty much haven't been paid for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough, tough decision that the players are going to make. Not only that, I mean, you're talking Robbie Fowler's away from Brisbane. Uh, Carl Robinson is over in Canada and the coach has just left Melbourne victory to have their family. So yeah, there's, there's things you've got to take into consideration as well. You're coming into an environment, like you say, where you don't have that kind of security. Um, and if you're asking me, would I would I be the player that would, if I was back in the UK now, to come and finish off a few matches? I, I wouldn't do it, Dave, personally. Uh, and I'm, it's not just due to the money. It would be the, the restrictions, all the kind of things you've got to go through, putting my family, if they were going to come with me, at risk. Um, no, I, 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 would, I would struggle to find the right mindset to say, yeah, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to finish off. I mean, I was playing golf with Wes Houlihan three weeks ago before he made a tough decision. He was like, you know, I've hung around, I've got myself back from fitness, contracts up for negotiation, got no job security with the government kind of stuff. And he made the decision that he was, you know, I'm going to go back to the UK. So the, the Jets have really struggled with their visa players, their situation that's on there. Bobby Burns has left. And I can't see them coming back because you've got to sort out contracts and things. And they travel again, they're having 14 days isolation. No, I wouldn't do it. I think the issue is, Dave, look, uh, it isn't that the foreigners aren't going to get paid for the remainder of the season. They've, they've got a system going that, you know, the more money you earn, the, the more that you will have to give up sort of thing. So I think it's over a certain amount of money, you only get 30% of your remaining uh, salary for this season. Now, the, the issue that they're having is that 
there's no guarantees that the contracts that they are on, and these are the ones that still got a contract for next season and the season after, mm. that they're going to be able to get that. So as a foreigner, the reason why they did come to Australia, yes, was to play in Australia in the A-League, but also that they've got a contract and they've got money that mm. they've all got mortgages, they've all got mm. families. And then you're not guaranteed that. I, I, I'm with Bridgie. It's, it's a tough one to say, yeah, I'll play just because I'm doing the right thing for the mm. club or for the game. You know, they're foreigners that have come here to actually make a living, also help the league. But when there's no guarantees of your job security, that, that's hard for them. Mm. Interesting times. Interesting times. We hope for a resolution very, very, very soon. Um, just to end off, a quick one to you, John. You've been busy, very busy since we last spoke with, um, I mean, that's the short-term play. The long-term play, we know your aspirations and, and vision for the A-League. You've been, you've been, you've articulated those, some of them on this show as well. But how's the golden generation ticking along? Um, the reunion with, the, getting the band back together. Um, how's, that, how's that going for, for you, and, you and the guys? It's been good. It's been good because uh, we, we all just want, uh, you know, uh, the best for football. And, and that's the main thing. It's, uh, it, we're not here to, to go against the, anyone in particular or, you know, we're here to actually support a lot of the things that uh, James Johnson is trying to do with, with the FFA. And, and a lot of the times when you have a, a voice outside of a federation or outside of a club, um, you can be a little bit more vocal and more powerful with it. Um, because, you know, when you're inside the Federation, you have to be careful what you're trying to push for. Um, a lot of it will go sort of unnoticed and behind the scenes. So we're there to actually um, try and help and, and try and come up with ideas to help the game. And that, that's all it is. You know, we, we just want to, the best for the game. This has given us an opportunity, this, this uh, break that we've had, to see where we're at. Uh, we've spoken about, you know, there's been a lot of good things that have happened in the A-League and in Australian football, but how can we improve and how can we get to the next level? We've spoken about, you know, aligning all the competitions, um, aligning ourselves with Asia. We've spoken about, you know, the broadcasting deals. We're not saying that to, that Fox aren't going to be, uh, you know, helping or, or with the A-League in the future. We're saying that if they do decide to pull out, what, can it look like and uh, and I think that's important because you know we're, we're not there to to say that uh, this this is it this is what it has to be where they're asking questions so then people start to think and talk about it what's been the spark it seems like everyone is incredibly motivated and uh, inspired at the moment is it having seen it at a tipping point and going we want to get involved is it having seen the reaction that you guys got when you did get together and, and have a bit of a say and felt that really positive what was the thing that after so many years almost just got the band back together? Well, you have to understand that a lot of the players retired around 10 years ago. And uh, and you say, it takes you a while to, to sort of, you know, everyone goes in their, their, their direction and, and uh, you know, some were, got into coaching, some others got into, you know, being directors of football and uh, agents and, and whatever else. And then once you have that time, doing that you get to see a lot of other things other than when you're a player because when you're a player you're focused on yourself you're focused on you know playing and doing well but when you you take a, a step into the, the the other side of football you get to see what is really happening and uh, and we've had that time now we, we we saw that we were at a crossroads with the game um and it was time for us to actually get together and 
we feel that we're more powerful together. Our voice is more powerful. So, um, you know, as individuals, we've probably been saying it for quite a long time, but uh, it, can, it can get pushed aside quite easy. But when you're together, it uh, becomes more powerful. And it's, it's not only us players from that generation. We, we've had a lot of players from uh, previous generations and, and, and post us that are, uh, you know, are in support and, and they want to help out as much as possible. Good stuff. Great to hear. And as, as even, even here on this forum and all the forums we have, we just want what's best for the game and to uh, have active discussions and hope that sparks, you know, positive decisions and, and at least it's in the forefront of everyone's mind going forward. So um, that can only be a good thing. Um, gents, thanks so much for your time again today. Thanks. Thank you very much, Jens. You're both off to study for the final trivia. The isolation is over because isolation trivia is over. Good luck. Bring home the trophy, one of you. Well, well, it's even well, if you were 40, so we'll see how we go. There's only going to be one winner. I've, I was just here to make the numbers up. John, Wait, Bridgie, John been it. Bridgie, this could be uh, winner takes all. That's what you have to give tonight. This is the, this is the World Cup final, Bridgie. You could Never win the World about Cup that. final. The underdog's got a chance. <laughs> uh, John, Bridge has shown his mentality this morning with his uniform. It's fine. <laughs> second. second. <laughs> you, you should have actually got uh, jerseys on from third place because you've been in third place most of the time. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Lucky good. that's an audio, an audio medium there, Bridgie. Correct. That's why I did it. I didn't want to swear at John. What a, you know, the golden child of football. Love it. No, I really Thank you very much. Have a great week and football is back. Pleasure as always, guys. Um, thank you very much. And to everyone out there, as ever, this weekend, enjoy your K-League on Optus Sport. And by the next game and pod, who knows what we will know about the future of what we'll have on our screens. Can't wait. Have a good week. Until then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.